Welcome to the Organized Investor Pod Class with Jerry Goodman and Megan Hubbard from Tennessee Wealth Management. Think of these pod classes as a college of knowledge, and the curriculum is an inside look at how we work with our clients to organize their investments, their retirement, and their affairs. Our process is certainly not the only approach, but it has served our clients well. Listening may materially improve your life as well, but for that to happen, it also takes an open mind, an interest to learn, and your trust in what we're sharing. We focus only on what is relevant and will explain things several times in different ways over multiple classes to ensure you understand their importance. We suggest you subscribe so you'll receive reminders about the next class. And with the tools and information on our website, theorganizedinvestor.com, you can start getting organized right now. Hi, listeners. I'm Megan Hubbard, along with my dad, Jerry Goodman. And students, we are glad you're able to join us today. Think of us as Megan and Dad. I'm a former first grade teacher at the Christian Academy of Knoxville. And Dad learned in the first grade that double negatives are a big no-no. Yes, yes, they are a (laughs) no-no. Well, I have a master's degree in curriculum and instruction, and Dad has over 40 years of stories, experiences, and has a joke file in a manila folder dating back to 1977. It's it's one of my most treasured treasured possessions, in fact. So, Megan, my first grade teacher, she told me once that I was never going to amount to anything. You know why? Because why? I procrastinated so much. I was Mr. Procrastinator. And I told her, I said, just you wait. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Are you just pulling these out like and and ready to share them every time we do an episode? Well, you, yeah. You know, good first grade jokes are kind of hard to find, actually. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Did you anyway, have, but did you have similar conversations with all of your teachers? I have a feeling you probably did. No, 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 just just the teachers that I liked, which was most of them. Most <laughs> of them. Okay. I'm sure they all liked you as well. Of course. Well, for pod classes number four, five, and six, we explained how organizing your affairs and how Saving about $1,000 by working with a local estate planning attorney for a flat fee could be significantly different than working with an attorney on your own. So if you've been procrastinating with the paperwork and not planning on living forever, okay, so I guess if you want to procrastinate that, that wouldn't be the worst thing to be procrastinating on. We would suggest that you listen to episodes four, five, and six, and that would be a nice thing to do your family. It would. And your family would really not only appreciate you listening to four, five, and six, but actually doing something to get your I's dotted, to get those little T's crossed, to get some of this taken care of. And since there's only so much we can say about organizing your affairs without possibly putting you to sleep, we're currently discussing how to organize your investments. We'll put you to sleep with this one, won't we? And in this series of pod classes, it's going to include so far Seven, eight, nine, and also ten. I, I know you're thinking of that joke, aren't you, Megan? I am. I can't. Why is five? Why is five afraid of six? Seven, eight, nine. Like I can't hear seven, eight, nine consecutively and not think about it. It's impossible. Yeah, it's true. So we got those, and and we've got more to even come after that. Well, you've already listened to seven, eight, 
or nine, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> if not, hopefully they didn't get eaten before you ate them. Um, if not, maybe start with number seven first. So you don't feel like you've walked into the middle of a movie. And we talked about that on episode six, actually. That's like the worst when you walk into the middle of a movie or a television show and you have no idea what's going on. So we would suggest going back and, you know, starting with that. If you have listened to seven, eight, and nine, you know, here's a recap about the movie so far. So our primary goal is to actually improve your overall performance by 2% per year, which for a million-dollar portfolio, that's equivalent to an additional $20,000 per year or $400,000 over 20 years. And yes, this is actually possible depending on how the investments are currently being managed. And just keep in mind what Megan said, this is an additional $20,000 on top of whatever your investments, your portfolio may have already been returning to you. Now, these improvements may come from a couple of things, lowering the advisory fees, maybe the investment costs built into some of the investments that you own. And about even we're talking about even improving the investment returns by simply being more selective with your investment choices. So we gave you examples of an advisory account invested in mutual funds, and one was that was also invested in exchange-traded funds, both of which had pretty mediocre performance. And some of this poor performance um, from owning 20 funds that may be invested in, you know, 200 different companies, that means you effectively own three to 4,000 stocks. Okay, so that's a, that's a lot of companies. You've gone from diversification to what we like to call diversification. Dun, dun, dun. And we always like to add that sound effect because the, the word itself just lends to that sound effect, right? Diversification. Because you effectively own most every stock on the planet. And sure, you own the good ones, but guess what? You also own the bad ones. And the stocks that may be trading above their projected price target, they're paying little, if any, dividend. Poorly rated by the analysts usually, and they're usually losing money. I could just tell you other negative things, et cetera, et cetera, about these particular stocks. So are you invested in something similar to that, that mutual fund or that exchange-traded fund, for example, that maybe has mediocre returns? Because if so, you may be able to materially improve your long-term financial future by a lot. And we, we touched on that percentage a minute ago, $400,000 over a 20-year period. So instead of mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, what we focus on are higher-quality common stocks individual common stocks that are primarily from the DSIP list that stands for Diversified Stock Income Plan, which is a long one, long word or long name, so we reduce it down to DSIP list. And this is the probably the flagship research list from Wells Fargo Research for the last 29 years, I guess. Yes. And over that 29-year period, the average annual return for the DSIP list has been 12% versus the S&P 500 index at 9.6% per year. Now, how much better is that? Well, it has a 25% better return from the DSIP list and has done what about with about 10% less volatility? It's done it with it's about 10% less volatility. Pretty impressive. So to manage these stocks off this list, we had to create some process or some vehicle, if you will, to do that. So we created what are called dividend growth portfolios, or since that's a long name also, we're going to call that DGP, dividend growth portfolios, or DGP for short. Now, 
these accounts, these have a $50,000 minimum for us to manage it that way. And they can be most any type of an account, like an IRA, a regular account, virtually anything. They're managed on a discretionary basis for an advisory fee that is probably less than some advisory fee that you may be paying currently in another situation. So we actually did a deep dive into the reference guide on our website and explained our investment process and the benefits of being selective with your investments. So, you know, think of your portfolio as a lottery ticket. And these pod classes are going to help you know if you've got the winning number. Right. And and possibly have, as we just mentioned a second ago, the ability to dramatically improve your long-term financial future. Now, this is pod class number 10, which where where we are now continuing that same discussion. And again, it's on investment. It's on the investment page of our website. I will direct you to our 38-page 30, reference guide dated, it says date on it, November 2023, because we're going to update these as we go through these various podcasts. So the decent list, it focuses on companies with a history of raising their dividends along with some other traits. And the great performance is because of these these types of companies they're very attractive to investors. And we're actually going to spend much of this pod class explaining the whole concept of dividend growth and how it caused us to rethink how we view investing. Now, dividend growth stocks have sculptured our view of what the investment itself can do individually. It changed what we should not only look for when making investment choices, but what we should reasonably expect to receive in the process. So we look at dividend growth investing from a vastly different perspective and direction than what most people would. Once you listen to our explanation, once you understand the concept, once you digest it, not only how this works, but why it works, you're going to have a much better appreciation for this whole dividend growth strategy. So is this dividend growth strategy the only approach to investing? Absolutely not. And during some periods, it may not even be the best approach, but over the decades, it served our clients really well. So thanks for joining us and, you know, get comfortable as we're once again back in our college of knowledge, but don't get too comfortable. Dun, dun, dun. So I don't know why dun, 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 but felt like it. That should be like a yay, like cheers, clapping. We're back. (laughs) So dividend growth investing. You know, by its very name, which we didn't name it, that's kind of by its name, it describes basically one of the main objectives, which would be to own companies that have a history of raising the dividends, just like the name implies. Now, obviously, some companies pay a dividend and some don't. And for those stocks, those stocks, those companies, if you will, that do pay, there's a number of different ways to categorize these. But let's try to keep it sort of simple. And we're going to break those companies that pay a dividend into just two groups, two different groups. One group may pay a a very high, relatively high dividend versus the current stock price per share of that company. Now, this group, it may or may not increase the annual dividend going forward, but this group will generally be attractive due to the very high current yield that it pays. Another group may not pay any unusually high dividend yields, actually, but they may be increasing the dividend per share of payments every year. Now, you've probably never given much thought to dividends in general, right? And these two groups probably in particular, but we want to kind of dig in here. Which is better, a stock that pays a high dividend or one that grows its dividend at a faster rate? Now, before we go any further, 
we want to make sure that you actually understand the term dividend yield, okay? And so let's take a moment and explain this and how it's calculated just to make sure everybody understands this. So, and, and most people already do, but not everybody. So I guess I get to take this one since I do the I'm math the, on this, Megan. On the teacher officially. Dividend yield is actually determined by dividing the annual dividend amount per share by its current market price per share. So let's just keep this simple. Let's assume a stock price is $100 per share at this moment in time, okay? It may be $103 per share in 10 minutes from now, or maybe $99 per share tomorrow. But at this moment, let's assume you bought it for 100 shares at $100 per share for a total of $10,000. Let's also assume that this stock pays a dividend of $5 per share per year. Now, since you own 100 shares of this stock, over the course of the next year, you would expect to receive $500 in dividends, okay? So in other words, 100 shares times $5 a share. Now, to be technically correct, the dividends are actually paid on a quarterly basis, which would be $125 per quarter, but we're trying to just keep this simple. So let's just talk about the $500 per year amount. So if the stock is trading at $100 a share and the dividend is $5 a share, what's the dividend yield? Well, most people would easily say, you know, well, it's 5%, right? But if you need to prove that with a calculator, then take your calculator and just divide 5 by 100, and you'll see 0 0.05 pop up on the screen, which basically is the same thing as 5%, okay? Yes. I mean, we would assume that that's right. So if you're doing it on a calculator and you're typing in everything correctly, that should be correct. So we're assuming you paid $100 per share for 100 shares, and you're expecting to receive $500 in dividends over the next year, which is 5%. So let's assume that the dividend doesn't change. It just stays $5 per share per year. But let's also assume that the price goes up to $110 per share. So that's obviously great since you bought it at $100, right? But now if you divide the $5 dividend by the $110 stock price, the calculated dividend yield is about 4.5%. Keep in mind that if you paid $100 per share when you bought it, the $5 dividend is giving you a 5% return based on the price you paid it for. You, you bought the stock for, okay? The 4.5% yield would be the dividend return if someone were to pay 110 for it. So this, this is going to sound terribly simplistic for some people, but it's not going to be so obvious for everybody else, which is why we're trying to just clarify some of this. You're listening to an Organized Investor Pod Class, which makes up our College of Knowledge. Your hosts are Megan Hubbard and her favorite father, Jerry Goodman. You'll benefit most by listening to at least 12 pod classes. And the best way to be reminded is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. So there is a big difference between a stock with a high dividend yield versus a stock whose dividend is increasing at a higher rate. Yes, there is. There's a huge difference. And there are plenty of companies that you can invest in that are actually paying a high yield, but some of them... It's just simply by accident. And you say, well, what does that mean? What is what is by accident talking about? Well, let's say a company's trading at $100 a share. Go back to our little example. And let's say in this case, it's paying a dividend of $4 per share. 
So obviously that's a 4% yield because it's $4 dividend with $100 stock, so it's a 4% yield. Now, whatever it is, let's just say something happened to the company. There was a big problem, whatever it was, doesn't really matter. But all of a sudden, the earnings of the company drop. And the next thing you know, the, the stock has dropped down to $50 a share. That's just the market price. It's gone down. Let's also say the company decided to leave that $4 dividend and to not reduce it, left it just like it was. Since this is now a $50 stock with a $4 dividend, the current dividend yield is now 8%. So in other words, a $4 dividend divided by a $50 share price is an 8% dividend yield. Now, what happens next is that someone may see the stock and say, wow, this is a great company because it pays an 8% yield, which is all well and good. But unfortunately, it may turn out not so great if the company later decides to cut the dividend because they can't afford to pay it. And then the stock may drop in price even more. Just keep in mind that this dividend that we're talking about, it's set by the company management and, and approved by the board of directors. And if a company gets in a financial bind, it's common to see that this dividend we're talking about is many times the first thing that gets whacked, that gets reduced, or maybe even eliminated altogether just depending on how bad the situation has gotten. And in that financial bind, there may be something happening in the economy that affects a whole lot of companies, maybe not even just uh, the one that you happen to own. So it's very important that our dividend growth companies that we're investing in have a reasonable expectation to be able to continue to not only pay the, the current dividend, but to also increase it. And this is why we do our own analysis, as well as rely on this excellent Wells Fargo research that's been out for well, going on 30 years now. So let's get back to our explanation. A company that currently pays a dividend has a number of choices, okay? So the company may decide to increase the dividend every year for the foreseeable future. The company may actually decide to leave the dividend amount per share just unchanged. Or they may actually choose to either reduce the dividend per share or eliminate it altogether, which may happen if the economy or the particular business is not doing well. So let's compare some of these in terms of which one is better. And, and there, this isn't a completely black and white kind of situation. This is There's some subjectivity to this. Let's say one stock that may have a 5% current dividend yield, but it's unlikely to ever increase the dividend amount very much. Or you have another stock that may pay, let's say, a 3% current dividend yield, but it's going to increase it by 10% every year for, say, for the foreseeable future. So is the 5% dividend stock better than the 3% dividend stock? Well, in this very simple comparison, and if everything else were to remain equal, let's assume, a 3% dividend that increased by 10% per year would be close to 5% after five years. So in other words, a dividend of $300 per year that increases 10% per year means that after year one, it's going to go to $330, $330. After year two, it's going to be $363. After year three, $399. After year four, $439. And after year five, it's going to be $483. And hopefully it's going to continue to increase in the years after that. So the decent list with this exceptional performance going all the way back to the fall of 1993. It focuses on these types of companies that have a history of raising their dividends. And again, not necessarily the companies with the highest dividend yield. And the research around this DCIP list is to identify those companies with the ability to 
increase their dividend payments, which is also an indicator that the company is healthy, growing, and probably pretty well managed. And it's no surprise that these dividend-growing stocks are actually attractive to investors to help grow their portfolios and to fund their retirement. And companies with the ability and the mindset to increase their dividends each year is why these companies are so attractive to investors. It's also why the performance of the diesel list has exceeded the return of the S&P 500 index by 25% per year, going back to the fall of 1993. Back to our little reference guide, take a look at page 19 if you can. Uh, there, there is a summary of the historical performance metrics, which that's a big mouthful, isn't it? Historical performance metrics of the diesel list, mouthful, that goes back, though, for a 20-year period. Now, on same, that same page 19, we've highlighted in red that the average annual dividend increase for the DSIP list has been 9.6% versus the S&P 500 index, which has been 6.2%. So again, 9.6% dividend increase for DSIP, 6.2% for the S&P 500 index. In other words, the average annual dividend increase for the DSIP list was about 50% higher than that of the S&P 500. Also on page 19, there is a hypothetical assumption that's comparing the actual dividend income from a $100,000 portfolio for both the DSIP list and the S&P 500 index as of the end of 2022. So if you assume the DSIP list had an initial dividend yield of 2.2% and it increased at a rate of 9.6% per year, in year 16, the dividend income would be $8,701. Now, if you assume the S&P 500 index had an initial dividend yield of 1.7% and it increased at a rate of 6.2% per year, in year 16, the dividend income would only be $4,191. So in this purely hypothetical example, the dividend income from the DSIP list would be more than twice the dividend income from the S&P 500 index. And keep in mind that we're just talking about the increase in dividend income, okay? It doesn't factor in the price appreciation, which is actually the real attraction for this whole strategy because the dividend increasing makes the price of the stocks go up. Now, based on where the portfolio was initially invested and the prices initially paid, the ultimate dividend yield from this dividend growth strategy that we're talking about, it may increase to a point where it's providing a significant amount of the annual return that someone may need for their entire portfolio of investments just because of that annual growth. So continue to ponder this question. You know, would you prefer a higher dividend yield that is not likely to increase or a lower current dividend yield that is likely to increase each year? These are dramatically different choices, and the math behind the numbers is a compelling argument that a growing dividend may be much more beneficial than a stock that has a higher initial dividend, but not as many increases over time. So this is a mindset that also is vastly different usually than investing for just appreciation and ignoring the dividend component altogether. In a prior pod class, we made the generalization about DSIP, and to help explain the concept about where this excellent performance is, was made up from, okay? The dividend income that comes from these companies and the appreciation of the stock price itself, those two areas. So this is just a guide, but let's just make the assumption that 
of that 12% return of the decent list since 1993. It was made up, let's just say, make up a number, 3% of it came from the dividend itself, and the other 9% came from appreciation. Now, we're offering this as a generalization to explain the concept that the dividend is part of the return, and in fact, is one of the main reasons for much of the price appreciation. The fact that these companies have the ability and the mindset to increase the company dividend each year is a good testament to the management of the company itself, actually. So the beauty of this strategy is the concept of dividend growth investing and how it checks so many boxes to help with investment performance. And the icing on the proverbial cake is the decent list, which has this very structured approach to identifying companies, the research behind all of this, that they feel like will perform just as they expect, okay? They will have those, the ability to and the intent to raise those dividends each year. And we've we've said frequently that, that we get to brag about this decent list because it's not even our list. It comes from Wells Fargo. And has the Wells Fargo research team been accurate and helpful? Well, they started reporting its performance back in 1993, and its track record has exceeded the S&P 500 index by 25% per year over a 29-year period. So we'll let you decide what you think about that, what the answer is to that question. Um, The research also tries to avoid companies that may have a disruption in their dividend growth. And even if the stock price is up, If something happens to stop the dividend from growing, that's a major reason for concern. As you might expect, the stocks on the decent list are going to be what's, let's call them mature companies, that they're going to have products and services that most all of us are going to know and use and be aware of. Go back to, again, our Excel from Hell reference guide on page number 16 of that guide and on our website, you're going to find a great summary that you can take a look at to kind of explain to you who these companies actually are. So page 16 has a list of 13 companies on the DSIP list. And what we have there is a summary of the 20 years of dividend history for each one of those. It shows the number of consecutive years of that dividend increase for all of those 13 companies. So Megan, how about take us through the list to give us a feel of these companies and really what is on that list. Okay. Well, bear with me because I'm literally going to read the list to you. Okay. So kind of Try to stay stay on task here, if you will, and give me a few minutes to, to read this. So number one is McDonald's. We all love McDonald's, which by the way, did you know they have free fry Friday? That's a mouthful at McDonald's. That's valuable information. It, it is. Do you have to buy something for the free fries? I think you might. My sister okay. told me this. She didn't give me all the details. She just said free fries and I was in. So anyways, so number one, McDonald's. 46 consecutive annual dividend increases. Number two, automatic data processing, 47 consecutive dividend increases. Number three, I'm just, before I even say this, I know he's gearing up. Go go do it. (laughs) Aflac. Aflac. 40 consecutive years. Number four, Johnson & Johnson, which is 60 consecutive years. You've got number five, Honeywell, 12 years. Number six, Cisco Systems, 11 years. Number seven, Colgate Palmolive, 60 years. Number eight, Lowe's, 61 years. I didn't even know Lowe's had been around for 61 years. Evidently. Number nine, Home Depot, 13 years. Number 10, Emerson Electric, 66 years. Number 11, W.W. Granger, 51 years. Number 12, Clorox, 46 years. Clorox. Num- <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sounded like Aflac. 
Number 13, Costco one year. Now, that last one's a little surprising, right? Uh, it is to me because I'm always at Costco or Sam's shopping and you know buying things I don't probably really need. But the last one is surprising because in recent years, Costco has actually paid an unusually large dividend that is great for shareholders, even though it messed up their record of consecutive annual increases. Exactly. Yeah, they had some some massive dividends that they paid out to all their shareholders, and it kind of they couldn't d- do that every year. So again, this is on page 16 of the reference guide, and it's a great illustration of why the performance of this decent list has been so good. Okay, Th- These are world-class companies that are very attractive to investors. Plus, being selective and focusing on these types of companies may be a much better strategy than some shotgun approach of owning three or 4,000 stocks spread over a large number of either mutual funds or exchange-traded funds inside of some advisory product. And anyway, the goal is for the dividend to actually increase and having a structured process to identify these dividend growers is the beauty of what Wells Fargo research brings to the table. So the 13 companies that I just listed are actually examples. And on page four of the reference guide that we keep talking about, there is a summary of these types of companies that may end up on the DSIP list. You know, they need to appear to be fundamentally sound. They have investment-grade debt, if any debt at all. These are mature companies with products and services most people know and use, okay? So most of those companies that I just listed, you you probably have some sort of an idea about them or you've used them before um, or shopped there before. They have potential to pay growing dividends, which, you know, not necessarily the highest yields. They have a dividend history of at least five years that's you know, well covered by cash flow, and they have the potential for upside appreciation. Let's just touch on the emotional side of price movements for just a second, because even though a portfolio of stocks may be increasing the dividends dramatically and consistently, the fact is owning stocks means that the market price of the shares, it's not it just not that they can fluctuate, it's that, that they will, okay? They're going to go up and down some. It just comes with the territory. And the price volatility is basically, that is the cost. That is the price that is levied on investors in their attempt to get a better return than, let's say, a CD, just for example. So stocks will fluctuate in price for a variety of different reasons in the near term. And much of that price volatility is not even based on anything dealing with reality. It has nothing to do with the profitability of the companies. It's also completely immaterial to whatever the long-term objectives of, of you are personally. So the vast majority of this volatility is nothing more than really noise that can distract you, actually. So fortunately, stocks with a growing dividend have historically had lower volatility than the overall market. And again, you know, that doesn't eliminate the volatility, but it it does help reduce it. And for example, you know, during the great financial crisis from, I guess it was October 2007 through March of 2009, um, I think we all remember that time period oh, that was, well. That was, that was fun. It was very uplifting time period. Just kidding. Um, the S&P 500 index actually lost about 50% of its value versus the DSIP list that lost less than half that amount. So as good as the DSIP list has been at reducing price volatility, it can't eliminate all of it. The nice part about a dividend growth strategy and this DSIP list in particular is that as long as these companies can and will continue to increase the dividends paid to the shareholders, 
all of this market volatility, all of this angst, all this anxiety that comes from all this is pretty much irrelevant. So just because the market has dropped in values at some point in time, that doesn't mean you need to sell anything or you're going to sell anything. And this is also really good advice for about any long-term investor to not get too concerned about market volatility. And I know that can be easier said than done, but that would be a, a great nugget to take away from this. Now, granted, you know, like I said, it's easier said than done. But the fact is, owning these large, well-established companies that can can and you know probably will continue to increase the dividend payments, that should provide a huge peace of mind. And again, prices really only matter if you need to sell something. We're not trying to turn this into some sort of investor psychology lecture, but consider that there are a lot of things out there that you cannot control. There's a lot more things you can't control than you can. Just put it that way. There's a number of things that will occur that can't be predicted, but can dramatically affect the value of everybody's investments. You know, maybe it's the Federal Reserve changing interest rates or terrorists flying a bunch of planes into skyscrapers. And maybe it's the change of who's going to win an election or this, what did Saudi Arabia do with oil prices? Yeah, all things that are unfortunately out of our control. And, you know, trying to forecast any of this can be an interesting what if discussion about the possibilities, but none of it can be accurately predicted. And none of that discussion will have anything to do with your long-term financial future, really. So it qualifies as noise, which is while we're focusing on what you can control, which are owning companies with a history of increasing their cash flows so that you can increase their or so that they can increase their dividends, if you will, to the shareholders, which would be you. You know, with that in place, much of everything else can and should be ignored. So this is our fourth pod class on the topic of organizing your investments. And we do still have more to cover, don't we? Of course, which means you have more to learn. Now, in spite of everything we're sharing sharing with you, we're not trying to turn you into por a portfolio manager or some type of financial advisor. You don't even need to know most of what we're going to share with you. And the fact is, most of our clients don't want to know all of this, okay? Right. Here's the thing. They do want to know that we have a process that, you know, makes sense and that we're going to adjust that process along the way. And, you know, it's all worked in the past. This has all worked for our clients. And after years of helping our clients, they do realize that, yes, we do know what we're doing. And so they can ignore most of this. And so have you been a client of ours for years? Well, probably not, which is why, you know, you want to at least be aware of what we know and what we do and why we do it. And what if you've already have a financial advisor for many years? That's great. But this will help you. This discussion helps you to understand and make a comparison of what your current financial advisor may not know or may not do or may not be sharing with you. So again, why do we need why do we feel you need to at least be aware of all this? It's because you are in charge of you. Isn't that cute? You, you that means that you're the one who actually gets to make that decision, that ultimate decision of who is best equipped to help you improve your long-term financial future. That means you're the one that needs to be able to make an informed decision, which is what all of this is about. It's about getting you informed. And in terms of getting you informed, you know, what is the initial goal we have in organizing your investments? 
Well, it's improving your overall performance by 2% by reducing fees, investment costs, and by improving your investment performance by investing in dividend growth companies. And, you know, what's the benefit with 2% improvement? Well, depending, of course, on how the investments are currently being managed, a million-dollar portfolio would benefit about $20,000 per year or $400,000 if you look at that over the next 20 years. That's a lot of money. It is a chunk of change. So did we explain that the decent list have outperformed the S&P 500 by 25% since 1993? Yeah, we've said it several times. And how many examples of the advisory accounts did we show you that talked that had that we discussed that had say mediocre performance. It was two of those. One was in mutual funds. One was using exchange traded funds. And did we explain the benefits of being selective with your investments? Yes, we even went through a very detailed explanation on page seven of the reference guide to talk about the attributes and and the the benefits of being selective with your investment choices. So here's a question for you. Have you ever gotten a second opinion about your investments and how they're being managed? I'm going to put money on probably not, which is why I put a lot of money on it. Yeah. I mean, and here's what's so crazy is we get second opinions about so many things, right, that are not as important as our investments. Um, So, you know, this is why we've actually structured these pod classes as the second opinion, if you will, about your investment strategy that you've never had. Um, It's a way better way for you to compare what you're doing with a different approach that may also be a better approach. We invite you to have a discussion with us to review your situation and to see how much all of this may benefit you. Or another option, you can also upload your information to us. We have a a very secure link, a Citrix share file link on our website. You can transfer the information up to us securely, and we'd be happy to discuss it with you over the phone. Uh, Have we covered a ton of information? Uh, Yes. I will answer that. Absolutely. Actually, it's more like two tons. So congratulations um, for making it this far. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you may have. My dad always likes to joke and say easy questions, but we're here for the hard ones too. We're not going to discriminate. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and save us to your favorite podcast players so that you receive reminders of the future episodes that we release. So join us next time. And as always, Thanks for listening, and class is dismissed. Affleck. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and or opinions of the organized investor or TN Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and are not intended as investment advice or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning or before making any investment decision. And please consult the or tax professionals for specific information regarding your individual situation. The organized investor cannot accept trade or account instructions on or through this platform. Please contact us directly at contact us at tnwealthmanagement.com or 865-415-2060 to place a trader for trade or account related questions. Brokerage and advisory services are provided by TN Wealth Management through Prospera Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. The organized investor is a brand name operated by TN Wealth Management for educational platform purposes.